podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Tonight we are recording um, the, the actually the first normal episode ever, uh, since we made the change over here to, to the Anchor platform. Um, to help me, we're, we're going to cover a bunch of KU news because it's been a while. Uh, this is my first episode back since I was on vacation. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that's happened in the last month or so. Uh, to help me kind of go over all of that, I have Mike Plank, the editor-in-chief over at Rock Chalk Talk. He's joining us again tonight. Mike, how are you doing today? Uh, well, Andy, I am uh, honored to be here once again uh, for the inaugural uh, Anchor podcast, I think you called it. And uh, overall, doing pretty good. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's been a while since we had you here, but uh, we actually yeah. tried to record this last night, full disclosure, and uh, we had some stuff that didn't work. And I'm actually... A little glad for that, even though it's the extra time to go back and re-record this stuff. Uh, I said a couple things that made me look a little stupid last night, and so I'm happy to to have this do-over. Um, but I, I was kind of I was kind of hoping that uh, maybe you uh, had forgotten that you had said those things, and maybe you would say them again. I was just, I was just being selfish. Well, you know, you know, actually, at this point, I, I'm I'm just going to let everyone know what I did. I actually mixed up the <laughs> schedule. Um, and it's not going to matter because actually, the, you know, our first topic here, um, obviously with the with the the Big Twelve going to the nine plus one schedule, kind of similar to what the rest of the of the Power Five conferences have done. Um, the the news actually came out today via the Baylor athletic director that the expectation is that the Big Twelve schedule is not going to look the same as it is right now. They are going to make changes. Um, not sure how extensive those changes are going to be, but I would have to imagine at least that the Kansas Baylor game that's scheduled for um, September 12th right now is going to get moved back in some fashion, um, which also means like my statement um, that I made last night about where various games were could actually end up being true, but we're never really going to know at this point until, until the schedule actually comes out. So, um, but kind of the first, the first question I have for you that I want to talk about is, um, you know, were, were you surprised that they went to the nine plus one? Um, were you expecting them to try to push a little harder for that 12 game schedule and try to keep that? Um, or was it pretty much inevitable once everyone else went to a 10 game schedule? Uh, yeah, I think the big 12's hand was forced just a little bit, um, by the other, especially the other big time conferences going, um, to reducing their schedules. You know, you already said the big 10 went, I think they went conference only, right. And SEC's conference only. And, ACC is conference plus one, and right. I think is Pac-12 conference plus one. I can't, I can't remember how. No, Pac-12 is conference only. Like everyone's doing conference oh, only yeah. with ten conference games, except for the ACC because they made their announcement before the SEC, and they were trying <laughs> to keep the the option open for those non-conference games with the uh, rivalry games. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm guessing right. Those those in-state rivalry games. Um, since that's not going to happen, like I, I would imagine that there's probably going to be a decent number of the ACC teams that just decide not to have a non-conference game. Um, it'll be a little weird if they have 11 games in the ACC and everyone else has 10. But <laughs> then again, I'm not, you know, I don't know that we're necessarily going to get all the games that are end up being scheduled anyway. Just even with all yeah. the contingency built in, um, I, I get the feeling there's going to be at least one or two teams that are just going to get hit hard enough by COVID stuff that they're not going to be able to make up whatever games they need to, and it probably won't matter in some cases because. You know, unless you're unless you're in the conference uh, championship race, like making up one of your games in the, that last week, if it, you know if you don't have a full a full team, a full complement of players that's able to do it, um, they might just decide, hey, we're not we're not going to worry about it at this point because it's not that big of a deal. 
Yeah. Well, but like, and like I was saying that, you know, I think the big 12 kind of had their hand forced a little bit. For example, um, KU's home game against Boston college was effectively canceled because the ACC said, um, Hey guys, you can't travel out of state for a, for a non-conference game. So Boston college can't leave Massachusetts. Well, we're not going to go back to Boston college. I mean, that that's not going to work. That wasn't the agreement. Um, so I, so, and I'm sure that other teams have had similar scheduling issues like that. Obviously the smaller conferences just canceling, um, you know, New Hampshire and the Ivy league and, and, you know, all all those like, yeah, that affected KU schedule, but it's wasn't that big of a deal, you know, because no way to take their spot and whatever. But, um, but yeah, I think I, you know, the big 12 has never been a, a, a leader when it comes to things like this, it's always been a reactionary entity. And so once the domino, once the dominoes started to fall, then it makes sense that the big 12 kind of followed suit because, um, you know, to, to answer your question more directly, I'm uh, yes. And no, (laughs) I'm surprised (laughs) that they did it, but I'm also not surprised that they did it after everybody else did it. You know, if if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, it's also one of those things like I've actually talked about this elsewhere, but, my feeling was that if it was if it was just up to the university presidents, they probably would have gone with 12 games. They probably would have, you know, kind of done what the athletic directors and I think the coaches wanted to do and kept that full complement of games. But I think there was too much kind of peer pressure kind of going on and outside forces that were kind of pushing them to, hey, if you're going to add extra games, you better have a really good reason for it um, because, it, you know, you're going to look really bad, you know, if if you try to play 12 games and in doing so you – you know, keep them all spaced together and you have to cancel a whole bunch of games because somebody comes out down with a huge, you know, a huge number of COVID cases that they got from one of their non-conference opponents. Like, it's almost like a, you know, we may want to do 12 games, but since we're the only power five conference that would be thinking about it, we don't want to open ourselves up to that criticism if we do it differently and it goes badly. Like, at at least now if, you know, if they don't get all of the 10 games in and because everybody is having that problem, like they've, they've insulated themselves to try to try to keep as much outside influence as possible. Um, like they've done everything they possibly can to just jump in with the rest of the pack and not expose themselves to any additional risk that some of the other team, you know, the other conferences aren't taking. Obviously they have to have that one non-conference game in order to get to a 10 game schedule. So like they already kind of have to do the plus one, which is a little bit more risk, I think. Um, but you know, if there is going to be a college football playoff this year, they're going to have to have that 10th game, um, on their list in order for, and, you know, to have an opportunity to be compared equally. Um, and you know, so, I mean, it's one of those kind of weird things, like they kind of have to do it because of how many people they have in the conference, but, uh, they, they don't want to extend that any further. Um, you know, and, and, and kind of to your point, like they're not, they're not going to be the leader on anything. They're not really going <laughs> to stick their neck out there. Um, you know, I, I, I thought, I, I think really what this does is it shows that regardless of, you know, the conversation about how this is like, you know, a bunch of autonomous conferences that can all make their own decisions, if everybody's going to end up coming to the same decision anyway, then they're not really having any of that independence. We might as well just go to, you know, like that, that NCAA football czar where, you know, one person is setting out all the rules for everybody because everybody got to the same conclusion anyway. We just took, you know, a month and a half for everybody to finally get to the same spot. Yeah. Yeah, and they, I mean, they could have, I suppose they could have tried to play a full 12-game schedule, even with all these conferences limiting, you know, where you can play and stuff like that, like, at least in our area of the country, and especially back east, I don't know how well it would have worked out west, but I mean, how many, 
potential non-conference opponents are within driving distance of Kansas. Right. Um, you know, if they're, I mean, they say Southern Illinois is, that's probably what a seven, seven, eight hour drive by bus anyway. But I mean, and not that these are ideal non-conference opponents for Kansas, but you have uh, Nebraska, Missouri, Iowa, um, you have, I, I guess, Colorado, Colorado State, Air Force, Tulsa. Um, you've got a bunch of uh, FBS or FCS teams in Missouri. You've got Southeast Missouri. You've got Missouri State. Um, I mean, there's plenty of options to choose from. They, they could have worked it out um, to play a 12-game slate. But, uh, you know, again, with, you know, the political situation and the virus and all that stuff that we probably don't want to get into on a sports podcast, you know, that's there, there's a lot of – there's a lot of things to consider when trying to add games like that, especially on short notice, because Nebraska is not going to want to come to Lawrence and play a game. You know, like th- right. that game would have to be in Nebraska. And would KU want to go up to Lincoln and play a game? Probably not. So, um, you know, there's things like that to work out. And then, and we haven't even touched on, can fans go to the game? Uh, is it going to be no fans? Is it going to be half capacity? Is it going to be third capacity? We, we, we don't know how that's going to work yet either. None, at least I haven't seen any of the universities uh, or the NCAA or anybody offer any kind of guidelines of, of fan attendance. So, yeah. So um, I mean, it's weird because like the SEC has talked about, I believe they've talked about 25% capacity. They talked about the allotment of tickets that are going to go to the visiting team. Like they've actually talked about as if there's going to be some sort of fans. And like Iowa state in the big 12 has, has already said that they were planning for 50% fan attendance. Um, and they haven't moved off of that yet. So, like, they very well still could, but nobody has made any kind of updates to that. So, like, at this point, it sounds like most of the teams are at least planning on some fans being in the stands. Right. Nobody's mandated anything is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we very well may come to, you know, a week before they're like, all of a sudden, nope, sorry, it's too risky. There's no fans in the stands. In which case, a lot of schools are going to have to refund a whole bunch of people. But, I mean, schools are still pushing yeah. season ticket holders. Like, they're still pushing to try to get fans there. And they may just have to go ahead and, and refund a whole bunch of stuff. Um, yeah. But, you know, you're, you're right. Like, the whole pushing for the 12, like, it would have it would have been possible for them to kind of fill out schedules. But I also I also think it would have been, I think, a little bit more difficult than, than some people might have thought because, you know, you want to try to play guys that are, or teams that are close to home. But a lot of those group of five schools are already have like full schedules because they've kind of filled them up with each other. Like a lot of them, there'd be a scramble, I think, for the Big 12 to try to to try to get enough schools that would be willing to come to them um, to fill up 12 game slates for everybody because the power five schools aren't doing any out of conference games unless you like travel there. And so like nobody, nobody wants to leave home. So like obviously you can't have two right. power five conference teams play if, if they both have to play at home. So Right. Um, I think it would have been a little bit more difficult than a lot of people probably would have realized. I still think it would have been possible to do. Um, you know, they could have gone outside of the box and done something like what ACC did and in inviting Notre Dame. Like they already have a scheduling alliance with a Notre Dame, so it made it easier to bring them into the conference. But there was like rumors flying around that maybe a team like BYU could have joined the Big 12 for one season. So that way they could have a 10 game slate of all in conference games um, like that kind of stuff potentially could have worked. It would have been interesting to see them try to do that, but obviously I think they waited late enough in the game that it made it though, those unique types of solutions a little bit more difficult to hammer out in the in the shortened time frame that they actually had. Um, you know, the one thing that I'm a little concerned or upset about at this point is like I was looking forward to Kansas being able to play in that Week Zero game, um, and while they're already in camp, so like they've gotten the main benefit of that of being able to practice early, I still think it would have been nice to have some game action 
they could evaluate some game film and have some extra weeks, you know, to kind of make adjustments based off of those game film, uh, you know, almost treat that like a preseason game against the, yeah. you know, against a, an FCS opponent, like you would see in the NFL where you can get some actual game action and, and make changes based off of that. Um, obviously doesn't look like it's going to happen this year. I'll be interested to see how they actually change the schedule, the conference schedule. So we can actually see, you know, when everyone is going to, is going to be playing everyone. Um, you know, a lot of the, the off season analysis that we did kind of was, was focused on like what it's going to look like compared to where they are in the schedule. So like some of these games, the outlook looks different for them if they're playing at the beginning of the, of, of the season, as opposed to the end of the season. I think Baylor's one of those big. Oh, yeah, teams. absolutely. So like, I'm hoping that if they move stuff around, that really they're just kind of normalizing everything and that Kansas still gets to play Baylor in that first conference game. Cause I think that gives Kansas a huge advantage in that type of game. Are, are you worried that they're going to, you know, shuffle stuff around and it's going to be a, a big deal for how the, for how the season potentially looks because of where games are going to be in that schedule. I mean, I guess I haven't thought too much about them shuffling stuff around. I suppose it's possible. Kansas does have a bye week on Halloween on October 31st. So, um, and they had kind of an oddball schedule this year where they had, they were supposed to play New Hampshire on Labor Day weekend, and then um, and then they were going to go to Baylor before right. ho- before I think it was hosting Boston College and then going to Coastal Carolina. Um, yep. So yeah, their week two opponent was going to be at Baylor, um, and I suppose they could push that back to Halloween. They may just push it back to the end of September. I, you know, we obviously everything's up in the air right now. We we just don't know. But yeah, Baylor's one of those opponents where. Um, I mean, and obviously, and I actually wrote about this just a, a week or two ago, but Kansas has the fewest returning starters in the Big 12, but Baylor has the next fewest. So if Kansas was going to get a road win, Baylor might be it this year. Um, uh, and playing them in the earlier in the season is obviously going to be a bonus, um, but I, Kansas will be in a similar boat as Baylor. Um, K-State's returning a lot of players, especially on offense. I think they only have three returning starters on offense at, in Manhattan. Um, and then, uh, I think maybe West Virginia is probably our next best shot at a win. If you want to look at the schedule kind of that way. And I don't remember when that game was scheduled for, but right now uh, it's like at the end of the season. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if we could play those three teams first, I, I'd be all for that. Um, <laughs> because it's probably not going to matter when we play Texas and Oklahoma and Oklahoma state, like those teams are just so far. And I hate to be yeah, a doom, it's gonna matter doomsday, what doomsday, but it's going to beat them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they the, all three of those teams are loaded. They're going to be jockeying for the Big Twelve. Uh, they're loaded with experience. They're loaded with returning starters. Um, I mean, it's 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 a three way race between Texas, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State this year. But I think uh, said, yeah. because I've been saying all over the place that I think that Kansas is going to get a sneaky upset over Texas this year. I just, I don't believe in what Texas has. I just I don't think they're going to have a very good year this year. No matter. No matter, you know, the, even though they bring back like Sam Ellinger and all that, I mean, like, I just, I just think that they're, they're going to have a much tougher time than a lot of people are expecting. Um, I've actually been saying it all over the place for a while now that you know, <laughs> get that sneaky upset. So I'm all for it. I'm hoping that that's actually the case. I'll take them early. I'll take them late. Give me Texas. I think, I think Kansas can actually pull that one off this year. Obviously, that means that they're going to, you know, get completely stomped because of what happened last year. But yeah, well, um, they've almost beat them two years in a row now. So it seems like, Seems like KU's got something on Texas. I don't know what it is, but they got something on them. Yeah. But anyway, um, all right. So I do want to, um, I do want to kind of jump over to some of the other other things that have happened since I've been gone. But before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. 
And we're back. Okay, so um, obviously there's been quite a bit of recruiting news that's happened since I've been gone. Uh, the, the first one mm-hmm. would have been Keon Coleman, who, who actually um, committed on July 4th, uh, which tells you how long it's been since, <laughs> since we've actually talked about this kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, there's been, there's been quite a few guys, and he's, he's actually going to be the highest recruit that Kansas has ever had uh, when you're looking at the, the 24-7 sports recruiting rankings um you know it seems like les miles and brent dearman specifically have had some very very good recruits coming in um have been able to kind of rack up some pretty big recruiting wins and there actually was just a uh an an alabama defensive back that uh that just i believe he's a he's a three-star on most of the rating services that just went ahead and committed for for 2021 as well but you know it seems like they're piling up quite a class here i haven't looked at the, the most recent rankings but uh, it definitely seems to me like like uh, Les Miles and Brent Dearman are really kind of putting something together here. The question I have for you, well, I, I mean, I, I guess first, any thoughts about the recruiting class, the, the guys that they were able to bring in? I mean, I keep harping on this whenever I write about it, but it's not – I know when you look at the recruiting class, you're going to say, oh, it's a four-star guy and a bunch of three-star guys. It's a typical Kansas recruiting class. Um, and, I mean, you can say that, but you'd be wrong. Um, if you look at the at this class especially and then the last class, they're um, – and I don't know if it's just because of the way that they've changed, like, the star ranking system or what it is. But when I look at the recruiting class, I'm looking at, like, the overall rank of the, of the recruits, right? Because you have top 100 recruits, top 300 recruits, top 500 recruits, top 1,000 recruits, that type of stuff. Kansas has had, and I don't have the exact number with me, but Kansas has had more top 1,000 recruits under less miles than they had in the previous 10 years combined. And that's how many yeah. coaches, Gill and, and, and Weiss and Beatty. Um, and, and that's just, I mean, the, the level of three-star, and I'm, maybe I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm cherry picking or something. I don't know, but the level of three-star recruits that they're bringing in is higher than just a typical Kansas class. And you see that reflected in the overall rankings. Um, at last check, they were at number 52 and I don't know what they are today with the kid out of Alabama committing. Yeah. Um, so I actually just pulled it up. They are at 47 now with him. 47. There you go. Top, uh, you know, top 50 class. Yeah. Keon Coleman was, you know, is still their highest ranked commit right now. Um, but Devin Neal was on pace to be the highest, you know, the highest ranked Kansas commit um, ever. And I believe this is just according to, to the 24 seven ranking, but still like yeah. he was their highest ever. And then Keon Coleman got, he essentially got recruited over but in Keon Coleman now being that, that highest recruited guy. Well, but uh, I mean, they play, two, is, they play two different positions. So, well, yes, but, but I mean, just like the overall rating that they have, yeah, I get you know, I get he, he, Keon Coleman is a consensus four star, whereas Devin Neal, depending on which rating service you look at, he's either a three star or a four star, but he's still a fair, uh, you know, the highest rated recruit that we had had, or that he was looking to be that once he came. Um, Cameron Grace isn't that far behind what Devin Neal would have been. And, and like, you know, so like we have three now, you know, very, very good recruits, especially for, for Kansas that are coming in, you know, all in this class that's coming up. So, I mean, it, it definitely seems like, you know, it, and, and they're, they're the 47th ranked class nationally, but they still only have 16 commits. You know, it's so like they still have nine spots in this in this recruiting class to bring more guys in. And obviously some some of the other schools are going to increase the numbers that they have and, and kind of jump up there. But, 
they they are seriously in contention to have a top 50 recruiting class at the end of all of this because they still have room to add more and you know and oh, they're yeah. getting highly ranked guys that they've they've set themselves up that they can bring in you know your typical Kansas people at the end and still be able to add to this to this overall ranking that they have so I, I've been very very impressed with what they've been able to do and a lot of the guys have been able to kind of say the right things specifically Keon Coleman I thought was a little surprising um you know that the fact that he committed over Oklahoma um obviously the fact that he plays both football and basketball you know bringing Bill Self in kind of gave them that extra selling point um but you know being able to to kind of get two Hall of Fame coaches to be able to uh to recruit a single guy because of the two great programs you know that that they're going to be able to put together or, or at least hopefully um you know like Having right. having Kansas basketball directly help recruit for Kansas football is not a bad thing at all. Um, and it'll be interesting to kind of see what they're able to do. But I mean, any any kind of thoughts on the overall recruiting, I guess, strategy moving forward, or or like what this might potentially mean going forward? And then how does the potential of this weird season, like, how does that affect? Do you think their ability to recruit going forward? Like, would would a canceled season? hurt recruiting for Kansas or, you know, Kansas only getting one win because now they only have one non-conference game. Would that put them behind the eight ball in terms of what their, their plan is that it seems right now for recruiting, or do you think it's not really going to matter as much because it is a game? Yeah. Um, the fewer, I, I hate to be harsh again, but I think the fewer games that Kansas plays this year, the better off recruiting, the, the easy, well, maybe I should say that the easier recruiting will be. Right, because uh, the way it is, we're playing ten games right now. We're going to be underdogs and probably big underdogs in nine of those games. Uh, you know, Kansas is staring a one and nine season in the face. Uh, Boston College was—I don't know if it was even going to be a toss-up win. Like that would have been a revenge game, and you know, BC was a bowl team last year, and yeah, we punked them on their home turf, but that—that uh, that was going to be a hard game. Uh, I well, think that that Notre Dame quarterback, that Notre yeah. Dame quarterback coming in, so. You know, yep. they probably would have been better than they were last year. And that's very possible. We, would, I mean, obviously we'd have to wait to find out, but we're, we're not going to find out. <laughs> we'll, right. we'll have to watch Boston College play ACC. But, uh, but yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point too. Um, I felt pretty confident about the uh, FCS team, whether it's New Hampshire or Southern Illinois. And then we should have creamed Coastal Carolina last year. Right. There's no excuse for that. Like I'm super confident going into that game. I don't, I don't know what the spread was going to be, but I was going to take the the uh, the Jayhawks and 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 you know whatever they were given there, but um, but yeah. So I think the fewer games that Kansas plays, the better because it's just when you go one and eleven or two and ten. I mean, that, man, that's hard to recruit to that, especially when your first season was three and nine. So this was always going to be a rebuilding year for Kansas. Um, you know, they're still trying to recover. Uh, you know, it just it, the the scholarship situation, the talent situation, the depth situation, just on the overall roster. Like they're still working on that. That's that's a work in progress. They're about half done. Um, you know, Les Miles has had th- three recruiting classes now. The the one he pulled, yeah, the one he pulled together in a month, and then two full cycles, right? And now we're starting to see the Les Miles effect pay off because you know he's going in. Um, he he's offering. Kansas has two commits for the class of 2022 now. Like they're offering kids who haven't even played their junior year of high school football. Uh, you know, they're offering high school seniors and there are high school uh, or sophomores, I'm sorry. And there are high school sophomores accepting offers to come to Kansas. 
Um, and yeah, they have three stars, but in two years, maybe they're going to be five-star players. Maybe they don't even make it here. Who knows? But um, so the recruiting is definitely picked up in the, in the last two years. Um, and I, I don't know what their process is really. Uh, if Brent Deerman at least um, seems to look for specific guys that catch his eye that, that he thinks fit his system that he can make work at the college level. And I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't care if they're two-star offensive linemen or, or four-star wide receivers. He, if he wants them, he goes and recruits them and he gets them. Um, Jalen Daniels is a good example of that. Um, and uh, th- there's a couple of quarterbacks in Arkansas that KU is reportedly after one of them uh, for the class of 22, like I just mentioned, class of 22 has already gave a verbal commitment to Kansas. So, um, you know, I, I, it's the like I said earlier. The fewer games we play, the be- the easier it will be because you know they they there won't be an opportunity, I suppose, for other schools to say, "You sure you want to go to Kansas?" They just went one and nine, right? Like, you know, like, like that, if, that type of get, deal. Like if we get three games in, and you know Kansas has played that game against Southern Illinois, and you know maybe gets to play Baylor, and so surprises in that game, and then loses another game, and then the season gets canceled. Like that looks phenomenal for Kansas because you right. can already say, right. "Oh my gosh, they like overperformed what we expected." And yeah, you could you could argue that they're probably going to get creamed in every single game they have left. But like, look, they they looked pretty good. You know, anything could happen in those in those games. And just just to clarify, one of the things you had said, like this is actually like the 2021 class is his second full like full recruiting cycle class. Um, okay, you know, okay. He he had the, the 2019 class, which is one he had to cobble together in just a couple months. Um, gotcha. And then this 2020 class that he just signed, that is the, the first full class they have. So, you know, that 2021 class is already ranked pretty highly, and it's just his second full time through the recruiting process at Kansas. So they have a really, really good opportunity here um, to, you know, jump up the, that recruiting significantly. And, I mean, honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with Brent Deerman, um, just because of, you know, the the excitement that his – his offensive scheme brings and kind of what they have there. And he's been, he's been heavily into a lot of the recruiting that they've been doing recently. You know, they're still recruiting pretty heavily on the offensive side, even though they, you know, especially at the wide receiver position, because they're, even though they have a bunch of guys already, you know, they're going to have to be replacing three, three senior wide receivers. So they're definitely going to have quite a few options here. um, Quite a few openings for some of these new guys, but it's definitely going to be interesting. I think to see them come in, and see how they can build on this. And, and I mean, I, I do agree with you, like less games here, less opportunities for them to kind of get creamed by the higher, you know, by, by the, the upper teams in the conference would be extremely helpful. Now, if they can steal, like, you know, if, if they could steal something like that Texas game, that immediately is going to validate a lot of what they're trying to do. And so you would like oh, to yeah. have the opportunity to, to, to get one of those games, but I don't think it necessarily hurts you if you don't get to play them because <laughs> – the chance of yeah. actually getting to steal one of those games is fairly slim, I think. So, yeah, but but you're right. I mean, a win over uh, a Texas or an Oklahoma or even an Oklahoma State this year, I mean, that that would be a huge. If you go two and eight, but one of those wins is over one of those three teams, like that's that's huge. So yeah, it's it's a it's a question of uh, of uh, what's what's the phrase I'm looking for here? Cost benefit analysis, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it definitely, I mean, like, I, I think it's a win-win either way, because if they get all the way through the schedule, they're going to have some opportunities to kind of show what they're building. And, and I mean, I don't think to, to maintain the recruiting momentum, 
I don't think it's going to take wins this year. It's going to take showing the improvement on the field. It's going to, you know, should be remaining competitive. Like they lost a ton on the defense this last year. Like if the defense takes a huge step back, I don't think that looks bad to anybody because of all the seniors that they lost, you know, um, like Drew Prox is basically the only guy coming back who was significantly uh, like had a, had a lot of production and he didn't have very much last year because he got injured. Um, right. So like, it's one of those things, like they don't have a lot of very, very, um, you know, uh, seasoned guys that are going to be able to step up. Like if, if they play fairly or, you know, if they play well at all on the defense this year, it's going to be because guys develop so quickly. So like, there's no expectations for this defense. Um, and, and maybe there should be like, depending on, on how well, you know, some of these guys, and I'm sure that internally they have some expectations, but you know, I think recruits are looking at the situation like there's nobody who's super established on the defense. And so these defensive recruits that, you know, really think that they can make a name for themselves, that's their opportunity to do it is to come into a team like Kansas and help them get that turned around. And, you know, as long as the offense is, is chugging along and, and doing everything that they need to do there, you know, recruits are going to be excited to come play for a guy like Brent Tierman. And, and, we, and we've already seen that. So it'll be interesting to kind of see what they can do. I'm really excited for it. All right. Um, you know, yeah, there is. Hey, I, I, Go ahead. I just wanted to say, I, I think that's a very fair point there that, um, you know, it may not even come down to wins and losses. If Kansas can, let's say they go one and nine, um, if they lose a bunch of games, 55 to 45, like, uh, I hate to say it, but that's progress. And that's going to excite a lot of recruits. If you're putting up 30 and 40 points a week in the Big 12, um, even if your defense is giving up 40 or 50, if you're putting up those kind of points, and I mean, that's, you know, 400, 500, 600 yards a game of offense, that's going to get recruits excited. That's going to, that that's going to keep their recruiting momentum going. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, definitely. All right. So we have one more topic that I want to talk about because it's something that you and I have kind of uh, traded some bars back and forth. But before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to our last break. We'll be right back on the Rock Jock podcast. And we're back. Okay. So you actually had put out an article um, a little bit ago about the, the, like who we expect to be, the starting quarterback for the year. Um, I've had my thoughts in a couple of different places, and I, I don't think we agree on this at all. Um, but there's obviously three options for starting quarterback this year in Miles Kendrick, Thomas McVitie, and Jalen Daniels. And they each have their, their positives and their negatives. Um, but why, why don't you go ahead and start us off with who you think is most likely to be the starter? Um, I think, and this is completely my opinion, I have no fa- uh, factual basis, I guess, but if you were to get odds on the starting quarterback for Kansas, I think the odds on favorite is probably Thomas McVitie. And I know he's a senior, and I know he's the guy that couldn't beat out Carter Stanley last year. But I think that of the three options you just mentioned, he is the best option. Uh, maybe not the most ideal option, but the best option. Um, I just – I. You know, none of these guys have much D1 experience, obviously. Jalen Daniels, true freshman. He hasn't even had a – well, he may have had a practice by now, I guess. But he obviously hasn't taken a snap in D1. Um, and uh, Kendrick hasn't played since 2018. Um, and I think he threw, what, 19 passes that year? Most yeah. of them in, in you know, trick plays or garbage time during the Rutgers game or, or you know, stuff like that. Um, so if, if, we're, if we're just comparing numbers – um, you compare Kendrick's numbers to McVitie's numbers. I personally prefer McVitie's numbers. He was, uh, you know, he, um, he's got the prototypical size, you know, he's what, six, four, six, five. He's a big dude. 
Um, he he got those long legs, and I mean, I know people are looking for somebody who can do like the the read option type stuff, right? Uh, somebody who can scramble out of pressure because at Kansas you have to be able to scramble out of pressure. Our offensive line's not that good, right? Right. Um, but um, you know, you look at McVitie's like he had better rushing numbers at JUCO. Um, he averaged over six yards a rush, um, and he it's not like he never ran or or. And it, but it's not like he ran a lot either. I think he averaged seven rushes a game. Um, so, you know, he, he has decent rushing numbers. Um, and like I said, he, he's, he's got all the measurables. He was a top 100 recruit coming out of high school. Uh, you know, he, he committed early to Pitt. Pitt was on him early. Um, and then he, uh, Les Miles tried to recruit him at LSU um, and get him to flip. And, and he held strong with that commitment to Pitt. Um, and then, uh, you know, after some coaching changes there at Pitt, he uh, went off to junior college for a year, became the number one junior college quarterback recruit and came to Kansas. So, um, you know, he comes very highly regarded. Obviously, all the recruiting services loved him. Um, and, uh, you know, I just – Kansas probably isn't going to win a lot of games this year, so I get the argument that maybe you start somebody who can start for multiple years. Uh, but if you do try to want to spring some of those upsets, uh, I don't know. I, ju- I just – I'd like to see what he can do. Um, you know, Les Miles said multiple times last summer that that uh, McVitie was ahead of Carter Stanley, and if the st- season started today, Thomas McVitie would be the starter. And then in the last week uh, before the first game, that apparently changed. And Carter Stanley obviously took the offense and ran away with it. But, um, you know, if he's anywhere near what Carter Stanley could do last year, uh, you know, Kansas will have a few surprises in him. I mean – they surprised yeah. Boston College last year. They surprised Texas. Even though they didn't win these games, they surprised Texas. They surprised Iowa State. They surprised um, – what's the other the other big one I can't think of right now? But, um, I mean, Carter Stanley had a good year, man. And if he's if he's anywhere close to that, uh, Kansas – yeah, I mean, they might get they might get that Texas win you're talking about, Andy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Like, I understand that, you know, McVitie didn't really get a fair shake anywhere they went because, you know, obviously he – he essentially went to Pitt and they changed coordinators. And so he, you know, didn't get really the opportunity to, to, to go to a system he was recruited to. And the same thing happened when he came to Kansas where, you know, he right. came over and Chip Lindsay left pretty much immediately and he decided to stick it out. <laughs> and, and I credit him for that. Um, but it was, it was pretty obvious that, you know, Les Caning, his, his system was nothing like what Chip Lindsay was going to be. And then they went ahead and changed over, you know, to Brent Dearman that, might have been able to use him a little bit better, but by that point, Carter Stanley, you know, had already kind of solidified his spot there, and you know, it was it was pretty clear that Carter Stanley could do everything that Brent Dearman wanted to do, and what they were actually willing to put in to the to the offense in the second half of the season. And you know, like you were talking about, um, and you've talked about multiple times over on the site, like Carter Stanley had a very very good year last year. Like it's you know, it it actually kind of uh, like it's probably the best season for a quarterback you know, outside of something that, that Todd Reesing has done, at least in recent memory. And so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how true the statement was that Thomas Ravitti was actually that close or, or was the leader in the clubhouse during, during the summer. Like, that seems to me almost like it was coach speak where, you know, McVitie was expected to be the starter coming in because of where he came from, because of, you know, the fact that he was recruited, like Stanley was recruited over by McVitie. And I think it's one of those things like at least public facing, you don't really kind of shake the expectations until you actually have to do it. And they finally got to the end of the, you know, the end of camp and they're like, okay, well, 
Carter Stanley's actually been performing better than him. So we really need to go ahead and play him, you know, to keep kind of whatever credibility we have with the team at this point. I, I don't know if that was kind of them just saying that it was a neck and neck race or that McVitie was like the leader just to kind of keep everybody happy at that point, or if Carter Stanley was significantly better than him and they just didn't want to tip their hand at that point. So, I mean, I can see a lot of different things kind of going on. And so like, I don't know how much we can actually read into those statements from, from the end of, of last year's camp. Um, but I just, I'm just looking at what they're able to do. And I'm, I'm going to admit that I cheated because we, we, we talked about this last night in, in a recording that didn't actually work. Um, and I actually went back and looked and, and while, while it is true that, uh, that Thomas McVitie, you know, had pretty good running numbers. Like when, when I'm thinking about mobility of a quarterback, especially in this Brent Dearman type system, you know, it's, it's about being able to get outside of the pocket with your feet, but then get yourself in a good position to be able to make a throw downfield if you need to. And I, I didn't see that in a lot of the clips that I saw from McVitie. Now, I'm not saying that Miles Kendrick has shown any of that ability, but that was one of the things that he, you know, looking at, at, at the recruiting services and kind of what was being talked about around him, that was one of his strengths of, you know, using his elusiveness to set up plays downfield and not just being a guy that will take off and run. Um, so uh, it's kind of one of those things without a lot of tape from either of these guys at a D one level. I just think that miles Kendrick has the, the, the tools that you would need for a Brent Deerman type of offense. And so I'm thinking, I, I'm just, I, I, I get the feeling that if it's going to be an upperclassman, it's going to be miles Kendrick one, because he has the extra year availability so they can really kind of get something set up. If none of the freshmen develop the way they want, but also I just think that his tools are better that, you know, if we're talking about Brent Deeran being able to get the most out of the guys that he puts on the field, like, yeah, he could probably make it work with McVitie. But I, I just think that there's going to be a head start there for Kendrick because of the skills that he has. Now, I can be completely wrong. Like, there could be things that they're seeing in camp um, or things that they saw in practice that have just never come through because neither of these guys have been on the field. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. Based off the limited information that we have, I think that Kendrick is a better fit but Jalen Daniels intrigues me because, you know, he's a true freshman, yes, but he was, you know, he was recruited specifically by Brent Deeran because Deerman absolutely loves, you know, what he's able to do. He's, he's praised his football IQ quite a bit already. Like, I think the only reason that we're not seriously considering him to be a starter is because of the fact that there was no camp because of COVID um, or that, that, that there was no spring practices because of COVID or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think he's just going to be far enough behind the eight ball because they don't have any of those things that they normally have to bring him up to speed. I wouldn't be surprised if he's starting by the middle of the year, though. Um, like, if they give him the last four games of the season, or even, you know, because of the, the the threat that they could potentially have a shortened season this year, like, my expectation is that they would get, you know, he would, they would get him in, and, and like, he could still use his red shirt, even if he's playing in four games this year. Um, you know, I, I've also heard that if they end up canceling the season because of COVID, there's some talk about giving everybody the ability to red shirt if they don't make it through the entire season. I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, but, you know, it's at least a possibility there. So they may just decide if, like, if that's what it is, like they think they're going to get a full season out of him, but still have the potential to redshirt because the full season is only four games. Like they may just throw him in there and kind of let him work through stuff and say, look, you know, we want to get you this, as, you know, we know you're going to be special. So we want to get you as much experience as we possibly can. And so like I could see Jalen Daniels kind of coming out of nowhere for fans because they like his potential and they want to get him to develop as quickly as they possibly can. Yeah, and I'd be fine with that, just as long as they maintain that red shirt. Like, I feel like that's probably key for Daniels. Um, but, I mean, I, I, we, we kind of agree, and I guess we kind of disagree, because I, I'm okay with the quarterback as long as it's one of the upperclassmen. Like, I feel like it needs to be either 
Kendrick or McVitie. Um, and then you want to get Daniels in there, you know, great, go for it. Just keep his, keep, keep the red shirt on him. Um, you know, let him develop, let him sit with Dearman for another year. Um, you know, bring in your quarterback for 2021, um, you know, in that recruiting class. Um, they've already got a quarterback in the 2022 class. So, you know, if you want to play Kendrick this year and next year and then see what you have in the quarterback room in two years, hey, that's great. Do that. Um, but um, I, I think one of the upperclassmen needs to be the the primary starter um, and, and get the majority of the snaps. Um, and, and whether that's McVitie or Kendrick, I mean, we both said, I don't know. Um, right. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd like to see what I, I'd like to see what McVitie could do, you know, you know, and I know we've had, you know, former top 100 uh, or whatever it was, uh, highly rated quarterbacks here before <clears throat> Vane Chris, <clears throat> but, uh, and it hasn't exactly worked out, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm just curious, you know, I, I want to see why, why was he rated that high? Like he was, you know, the, uh, the, the number eight pro style quarterback in his high school senior class, like what about him made him rated that high? Like, I want to, I want to see what he can do. And that, that's pretty, maybe that's the only reason I want to see him start. I don't know, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, uh, you know, yeah, I, I'm I just, maybe curiosity is just killing me, but. I, I uh, honestly don't care at all why he was rated that high. Like if he's the guy that gives us the best chance to win, um, you know, and because Jalen Daniels is like, I would be comfortable or I would be fine if, if the thought is that Jalen Daniels is going to be, a really good quarterback, you know, a really good big 12 level quarterback. Like, yeah, it's not very likely that he's going to end up leaving or, you know, after his junior year. Um, and so maybe you would want to kind of give him that extra time, but like, it's also kind of one of those things, like if he graduates in four years and he's already taken a red shirt, he may not use all four years of eligibility if he actually is any good. And so like, if he, if you think he's going to be that good, it doesn't necessarily make sense to redshirt him because if he gets the opportunity to leave early and decides to, and, and again, like this is presuming that he just absolutely takes off. Like I couldn't, I couldn't blame them. It's, it's a similar way that Bill Self, you know, uses his red shirts where he says, look, if I don't think a guy is going to be here for four years, then it doesn't make sense for me to redshirt him, you know, in a year that he's not getting a bunch of playing time because he's going to be that good. And we're just, you know, it's just going to be a waste. Like if we can use him a little bit here, and get him, get 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 something for the team because he's going to be that good of a guy for us off the bench. Like, I, I think it's almost a similar sort of thing here. Is you find the guy that is the best for what you need right now, and you know, redshirt be damned at this point. Like, I would I would absolutely love for him to have the option to be here for that extra year. Um, but if they really think he's going to be as good, and you know, I've heard glowing reviews from Brent Pierman. So if if you know if he really is going to be as good as they think he's going to be. It may not matter, and, and I don't know that I would be too upset if they went ahead and did it that way. But, you know, of the two upperclassmen, like, I don't, I don't know that I really care about figuring out for myself which one I think is better uh, because that would require seeing both of them. So it's, it's kind of like <laughs> the coaching staff to decide which one's better and then give, and, you know, give us which one is going to put us in the best position to have a good season this season, whether it's, yeah. you know, develop a lot of the other kind of surrounding guys. You know, like my, my one concern <laughs> – this year is that you're going to have to have a guy that is very mobile because we lost like the good, the one good guy that we had on the, you know, the one good stud that we had on the offensive line in Akeem Adenogy and the guys we have coming back on offensive line. Like, yeah, I'm expecting them to be able to develop into something by the end of the year, but it's going to be rough at the beginning of the year. Like we're going to have a quarterback. who's probably running for his life in quite a few of these games. And so it's going to have to be someone who can, who can make something out of having to scramble quite a bit, whether that's with his legs or, you know, getting in, getting to the outside and really getting set up. So, all right, Mike, um, go ahead. It could be interesting. Um, I'm, 
you probably don't want to get too far into an offensive line preview, but um, they, they have it's a it's one of the offensive line is one of those positions where they have a lot of upperclassmen, they have a lot of juniors and seniors, but they don't have a lot of experience. Um, right. I think they had one guy who started eleven games last year, and I don't think anybody else started more than three. I think that's right. So that, like I said, they have upperclassmen, so they you know guys who have been in a college weight program and big strong guys, they just don't have any experience. Uh, and then they have a trio of talented sophomores that I'm sure they'll rotate in. They probably won't start, but I'm sure they'll rotate in um, that were part of West Miles first class. But, uh, but yeah, offensive line, I, big question mark on <laughs> offensive line. We, we just don't know because like the quarterbacks, we haven't seen those guys play. We just don't know. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it'll be interesting. And I'm sure we'll do some sort of positional previews because to be honest, we're going to have to have some sort of, especially with them pushing stuff back, we're going to have to have some sort of um, additional stuff to cover here because um, obviously with, with the news that they are changing up the schedule and there's only going to be the one non-conference game, um, you know, our, our preview series that we have going on here that's been going every Sunday um, is going to end up getting cut short because like (laughs) the last one that we're wrapping up is going to be, we're going to be doing a preview of Baylor um, this Saturday with Mike doing the actual article. um, And I'm going to be doing the podcast that should be coming out on this Sunday, kind of doing that Baylor one, but then we're just going to have Southern Illinois um, I don't know if it would make sense to do that the next week after, or if we kind of wait until we get closer to the end of the season. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna need to find some other topics to kind of cover here because uh, we're not gonna have those, you know, we're we're not, we're not gonna be able to look to other teams to kind of fill our content here. So um, we'll have plenty of time to kind of talk about that stuff. But uh, um, <laughs> Mike, any other final thoughts for us tonight before we get out here? Uh, you know, Andy, I think we uh, I think we covered just about everything tonight, didn't we? Yeah, I think so. It was a lot of a lot of random stuff, and I'm, you know, I'm sure we could dive into some of the other random things that happened in the in the uh, the month that I was out on vacation. But I, I do think that we uh, we we covered all the main points here. And who knows with this COVID stuff, there's probably going to be more news to talk about next week that means all that stuff in the you know in the last month really doesn't matter at all. So changes all right. every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we will go ahead and leave it there, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please go out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of the other ones that are out there. Um, you can you can actually subscribe to us by searching for the Rock Chalk Podcast. Um, you know, we are still working to try to get back onto onto Stitcher and some of the other services that are out there. With, with the change to Anchor, some it's been a little a little rocky trying to kind of get some of this stuff and, and kind of divorce this this podcast from the Rock Chalk Talk Podcast channel. So. Uh, I'm still getting all that worked out, but definitely let me know if there's anywhere that you really want me to try, try to prioritize to get it back on. But if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want me to try to interview, um, anything like that, you can you can email me at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or you can contact me on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Um, but that'll do it for us tonight. Mike, thanks for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.